I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Are you looking to bridge the gap between your executive team and that emerging leadership that you know one day is poised to be the next tier of leadership in your company? Well, you should make sure that we have a conversation about the High Level Wisdom Workshop. It's a fun intensive that is one day on your grounds, working with your best and brightest of executives and that emerging leadership to come together to talk about communication, building out knowledge roadmaps, and more importantly, how do we ensure that we have successful transitions in our companies so we don't lose our institutional knowledge? If you want more information, feel free to reach out to me, Chris, at highlevelwisdom.com. You know, it's amazing to me today how many companies struggle to get their marketing teams and their technology teams to work in sync. What's also interesting to me is how many companies today are so large that they don't have time to focus on the future. They only really kind of focus on maintaining what they have today. And I know you as an executive really would like to carve out time in order to work on tomorrow's portion of your company today. Well, I tell you, there's a company that can really help you get into that and make the fortunate discoveries that you need right now. You want to insert Serendipity Interactive. This company is all about making sure that while you are working on today, they're helping you build out what you need to make the fortunate discoveries for your future. If you want to know more about how they can help your company, feel free to go to www serendipityinteractive.com that's serendipityinteractive.com hey we're looking for more ceos that's right as you hear on our show many times you've had a chance to hear so many different ceos who have talked to us but we're always looking for more interesting ceos who are doing some really great best practices to pass down that knowledge to the next tier of their organization Feel free to reach out to us if you know someone who might be interesting or an influencer or who has something that might be important to executives. You can send me an email at chris at highlevelwisdom.com or you can go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com and leave us a note. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome to part two of my interview with Dr. Jeff Kingsley. He is the CEO of IACT Health, a clinical research company, a human clinical research company, by the way. Uh, this is part two. And if you have not had an opportunity to listen to part one, I want you to stop right now before you listen to this second portion of our interview. Go back, check out Tuesday's podcast. It's an amazing, incredible story of how he even got to this place. But more importantly, um, why he cares so much about what he's actually doing. And one of the things I found very interesting in part one is that he sees how millennials are really changing uh, and evolving and pushing uh, the future of medicine, not only just uh, medicines from a long time ago, but even new things that are really able to help us uh, continue to be able to fight for cures of things that we've been fighting forever. So part two, uh, not only does he share even more stories and a very uh, personal one to him of somebody who dealt with a disease that they were actually able to help cure for 10 years. Um, he's going to share his story. He's going to share some of his insights, but he's also going to tell you a little bit about 
why he thinks uh, millennials can play such a huge part in the world of healthcare and moving forward. And we even talk about the pharmaceutical industry. So I want you to listen to part two of my interview with Dr. Jeff Kingsley, the CEO of IAC Health. The reason why I ask this question and, and I'm asking it of a lot of CEOs right now is because I'm I'm so fascinated um, when you see failures happen right publicly of a company. Um, we don't even have to name them. They're all in the press over the last two and a half years. And the way a CEO apologizes, I'm going, you just lost the trust of the people in your company. Like to me. This is just my this is my personal belief about CEOs and leadership apologizing. You're not apologizing to the public as much as you need to find the right way to apologize to your employee base so that you don't erode trust. And I think it's so vital and so critical and people miss it. So a good example would be, let's just say something goes wrong in you know, in your company. Right. But you leave it to the PR team to put out a statement. And I just feel like that's a big error. I don't care how big the company is. I'm like, well, yep. they're they're the PR team. They're in some respects, depending on the type of company you are, how big and all these other things, their job is to make it sound as generic and cliche as possible. There's no authenticity in that. I would yep. I would venture to say that um your apology to your employee base is as important as what you put out as a public statement. Because um, employees want to trust you and the, and that and that trust test is happening every single day. And and it's it's even greater when something goes wrong. So I, I'm just very curious. And I'm kind of on this on this thing lately about, you know, CEOs apologizing executives, knowing what does it mean to apologize? How do you ensure that it communicates effectively? And more importantly, how did your employee hear it? Right. Um, and what does that look like? So what what is kind of your thoughts on on some of that? I think it's that I think it's that fundamental separation between um, respect and being a member of the team. If your if your your primary um, desired outcome is to be respected by others and saving face and um, and just looking like you're the impenetrable, perfect leader of the ship, then you're not really a member of the team, and you're not going to have an authentic apology, and um, and you'll throw people under the bus, and you'll pretend it was somebody else's fault because because your your desired outcome is for you to look the best at the end of the day, no matter what. On the other hand, if you're a genuine member of the team and you genuinely respect the rest of your team, I think it's it's tons easier than to have those conversations and say, you know, if you think I'm wrong, tell me why you think I'm wrong. Let's talk about it. What's the best way of doing this? And then if I make a decision and I'm wrong, to be able to face the team and go, guys, I blew this one. This one's, this one's on me. What have we learned from it? Let's have a debrief. What are we going to do again moving forward? I need your voices. Interesting. So, We've been talking a lot about millennials and, and, and some of those different pieces. I want to kind of flip to talk about the baby boomer generation here. What do you think baby boomers have that a millennial should grab hold of that that is beneficial to the millennial as they not only just continue in their career, but more importantly, the millennial who's 25 to 35 who's saying, you know what, I want to be. 
I want to be Jeff one day. I want to own a company. I want to be the leader. You know, I might want to, you know, be Jeff's successor, right? Uh, what do you think that yeah. baby boomers bring that millennials should really gravitate to as they venture into executive leadership? Perhaps discipline. You know, I'm, I'm very much um, Taoist in, in the way I see the world, not intentionally, just innately. Um, you know, yin and yang, in every asset there's a liability, in every liability there's an asset. Um, so the, the boomer generation got a reputation for being very rigid, very disciplined. Um, the man is the breadwinner and the woman stays at home, and the man works for a company that's going to provide for him for the rest of their life and is going to work ridiculous hours, but is going to get this uh, this return, this protection in return, and you don't speak up to the boss, and you very rigid hierarchy, and you put in the hours no matter what it takes, even if you have to take time away from your family. Okay, um, that's the stereotype, um, or one of the stereotypes, and to an extreme, it's a liability. But you know what? Inside that liability, there's also an asset. Having that kind of discipline to get the job done is an asset. There's something to be learned there. Um, I, I think, you know, when I'm interviewing people, no matter what generation they're from, everyone brings, you know, these these um, these rigid nomenclatures of who's a, a baby boomer and who's a millennial are are somewhat helpful but can also be a little bit deceptive because there's people in each generation that are that are certainly outliers Absolutely. in the stereotypes of, of that generation. Um, I think a lot of that work ethic that boomers grew up in is is beneficial and it's something that the rest of us can learn something from because there is an asset in there. But as, as I alluded to, there's also a liability. There was very little work-life balance back then. There was very little work-life balance. And so families perhaps suffered a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as bizarre as it is, right? Divorce rates were less, uh, were, were lower. But at the same time, families suffered a little bit. There's something that boomers can learn from millennials. Work-life balance is awesome. Work-life balance... <laughs> You know, I, I tell people, again, in orientation, you spend more time at work than you do anywhere else. Right, absolutely. You can't count when you're asleep. So if you discount all the time that you're asleep, how much time are you actually spending at home engaging with family or friends or a hobby or doing something? It's not as much time as you're spending engaged at work. That's right. And so work should be something that you're in love with. It should be something, if you're not happy, do something else because it's a huge percentage of your life. And then being able to balance the two. Balance the two doesn't mean work sucks and so you have to make it up when you're not at work. That's not balance. <laughs> That's too wide extremes. Sure. That's not, you know, balance is your whole life is a perfect flow. Absolutely. With, with resistance in the middle, right? Um, you know, yeah, those challenges are, are just as important. 
So I'm, I'm, and we learn from those challenges, right. and we develop from those challenges, and we, we begin to see things in a new way year after year after year. We get smarter. That's right. Absolutely. So I want to go back to clinical research for a moment. Why is yeah. it, you know, if you're, if you're pitching to, you know, the, the 25 to 35 year old right now, why is clinical research a great place for a millennial to, to, to look at? Because one of the things that I'm very fascinated by and I, I spent a lot of time as a millennial advisor looking at is to say, I want to highlight industries that a lot of times people just I won't say they don't know about them. They just don't realize how cool they can be. Right. Because some of the cooler industries get all of the press. Right. Um, and there's certain things out there and there's niches that people just they don't know really exist and how how great of an impact or uh, a socially conscious or how um, how 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 cool they are. Even some, you know, industries are using technology. So why is clinical research a, a great place for millennial to get involved? Hmm. Bunch of reasons. One, autonomy. Um, in clinical research, clinical research is very complicated. There are loads of moving parts. It's not the same as seeing a patient and, you know, Mrs. Smith comes in and she's here for a high blood pressure visit. What's her blood pressure today? What medicines is she on? Let me tweak this medicine. Out the door she goes. In clinical research, um, you're running a research protocol to find out if this new product is going to be the next thing, next best thing since sliced bread for treating high blood pressure. Is it better than everything else that we have on the market right now for treating high blood pressure? And so we have the constraints of a research protocol, but at the same time, you're still taking care of Mrs. Smith and you're still looking at her blood pressure and you're still bonding with her and you're still doing all of that normal stuff. You're dealing with multiple other vendors in the industry. So everybody in the company, there's, I can't think of an example of a team member in this company that doesn't have an amazing amount of autonomy. Um, people are, are making independent decisions everywhere throughout this organization. So you asked, you know, why would this be something cool for a millennial? Why would clinical research be something cool for a millennial? Because it's it's an industry where you really get to use your brain. You're not in a position where you're just following somebody else's procedure manual and you're not deviating from, from that procedure in any way, shape, or hmm. form. In clinical research, you're always deviating. Everything is unique. So, so you've got kind of a, a guideline in, in a process, but at the same time, every moment of every day is a little bit of a deviation from that and you have to make a decision. Ah, oh, today in this specific circumstance, I should I should do X as opposed to Y. So that's that's a reason that's that's really cool. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with the industry because it's it's totally interesting. It's never the same. Um, so it, it it keeps me interested. But I think it it would be attractive to a millennial for that reason as well. Interesting. Now, you mentioned social. I would say social would be the second reason this would be interesting to a millennial. Wow. We're making a difference in the world. We're making a difference in individual patients' lives, Mrs. Smith, my hypothetical Mrs. Smith. We're making a difference in her life. We're making a difference in everybody's lives. 
I had a physician that entered a research trial a couple of years ago. He had hepatitis C since the time he was in med school. He got stuck with a needle when he was in med school. Oh, wow. Which was like, which was 35 years earlier and had hepatitis C his entire adult life. He had gone through several rounds of therapy, could never get rid of his hepatitis C. And he entered a research trial. We got rid of his hepatitis C. He's cured today after all that time. Wow. He's now cured. I've got an email sitting on the wall right next to me right now from one of our team members. I just saw that wonderful homeless gentleman who lives at blank has randomized into the hep C trial. I'm so happy for him. I'm seriously tearing up. We make an incredible social difference in the world. I mean, where else can you have a where where else can you have a career where you're able to bring your fullest best self to the table every day and and make such an impact? Absolutely. Wow, that's that that is fascinating. He's cured now today. And I and I'm sure he is yeah. forever grateful. And it probably has changed his outlook on life too. Um Completely. I, I can I can I can Completely. only imagine that that is that's a, a real success. Story. I had a I had a young girl and you know, and it doesn't have to be curing hep C either. I had a young girl in a trial last year. She had what's called um atopic dermatitis or eczema over lots of her body. So much so that her skin would crack and bleed mm-hmm. and, and her skin was just really, really um bad off. Mm-hmm. So here's this beautiful 22-year-old girl. She had never been to the beach. She had never worn a bikini. Wow. She entered this research trial with these new classes of medicines that we're working with today, which are called monoclonal antibodies. They're biologics, where we're using these complicated proteins to be able to turn off specific receptors and improve things in the body. She entered this research trial. Within a month, her skin is completely clear. Wow. Completely normal. She came into the into the office last summer crying because she was going to the to the beach that weekend. Oh wow. Wow. Interesting. Hmm. That's what makes it worth getting out of bed. Yeah. And I can imagine for 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 you and every employee that knew her I can only imagine you all probably wanted to go to the beach with her to celebrate with her to 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 see what that was like. Hell yeah! And 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 to to the fact that you're giving her a new life. And what was kind of her reaction when she came back into the office? She was glowing. She's a whole different person. And that that medicine that we were researching is now on the market. That received FDA approval about six months ago. Wow. And so now she can be on that for the rest, for as long as she needs it. And she can have completely normal skin for the first time in her life. And she can go wear skimpy, uh, you know, a, a skimpy top and show her arms and go out to a nightclub and go to the beach and wear a bikini and do whatever she wants to do. But things that, that we would take for granted, she couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's so, And this is so fascinating. So uh, as I mentioned, I, I have asthma and I've, I've had acute asthma all of my life. And uh, so if you guys had anything to do with Brio, thank you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, uh, it, it was it, it's been a it's been a fascinating journey because it's something that personally I've always had to struggle with, uh, you know, I, and I can have great, you know, great days. But unfortunately, I'm always having to be careful because I can go from, you know, 
you know, great day of breathing to zero in, in, in a matter of minutes. Right. Um, yeah, that's just, yeah. that's just something personally that I've always had to deal with. And I've always been fascinated about how people come up with things. What are they learning? What are they doing? And I would always, I always always tell people, cause I have a lot of friends who say, what is it like to have asthma? I said, just imagine basically somebody taking your lungs and just squeezing them in their hands. That's what it's like. There's like, <laughs> there's this, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just all these irritants that eventually kind of, you know, collaborate over time. Right. And so it's very interesting yeah. with stories like what you mentioned, because um, I tell people all the time, like there's hope, like there's people out here doing some fascinating things. And so I'm, I'm just glad that you were able to help someone like her, because now you've yeah. you've you've given you've done more than give her hope. You've given her a solution. Right. You've you've given yeah. her a yeah. real, real solution. So I'm curious about the future of clinical uh, research. What? You know, I've heard all sorts of things. I mean, I was reading an article uh, a couple months ago about eventually there's going to be nano nano uh, technology that they're going to be able to use to 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 fight certain diseases and different things. Talk to our audience about what what is what is the future of this of this industry? What things do you guys see? What what are you all actually working on that you're hoping one day will be uh, in the market for for folks? Okay, so boy, there's lots we could talk about from there. Let me let me first talk about, I suppose, just the cool stuff, and then we'll talk about the industry second. So, you know, it, it, life is bizarre. You know, in in any given day, you look at the things around us and we take them for granted. Um, how we save stroke victims today or patients who've got a blood clot in their lungs. The therapies we have today didn't exist a short while back. It was only through the research process that those things came to fruition. The, at the very same token, today we are researching things that five and ten years from now people will unfortunately take for granted, but will be game-changing for how we help Patients. Perfect example, um, type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease where your own immune system begins to attack the beta cells in your pancreas, and they produce insulin. And without insulin, you can't manage glucose, your blood sugar. And so that then hurts your nerves and your eyes and your kidneys and your heart, and on and on it goes. Um, type 1 diabetes starts in childhood. I met a woman few weeks ago, she was diagnosed before the age of two with type 1 diabetes. Wow. She's been on insulin shots multiple times a day since before the age of two. We have a research trial going on right now. In fact, we're the, the uh, second highest enrolling site in the world on this research trial. It's looking to arrest the attack on your pancreas so that your pancreas never fully dies. You don't lose all of your beta cells. You can continue to produce your own insulin. Um, we have multiple patients in that trial right now. These are young kids that are in that trial right now, and they're not on all that insulin that they would be on if they weren't in this research. Wow. So there's an example of the future of clinical research. What's the future of clinical research? We're going to continue to get smarter, and we're going to be looking at newer things that are going to 
revolutionized treatment of type 1 diabetes and stroke and blood pressure management and ulcerative colitis and all of these other disorders. So then I said I would also talk about the industry. What's the future of clinical research in terms of our industry? Well, more direct to patient. So traditionally, clinical research was patient came into an office and it was a very structured environment and we're looking to see if this is better than that and checking your blood pressure in the office. Part of the future of clinical research is wearables. You really? being in your home. Absolutely. We have wearables going on in so many trials today so that we're checking your blood pressure, for example, while you're walking around, while you're at work, just after your meal. It's checking your blood pressure all the time. So we're getting much, much better data. We've got trials going on where we're using wearables looking at your activity levels. So imagine a trial for pain control. How do I know if your pain is controlled? Does, what's the best marker of how you're doing in terms of pain? The number that you pick or what you were able to do in your day? Mm, interesting. And what you were able to do in your day is so much more meaningful. Absolutely. And so why not use wearables as a way of seeing what your activity level was when you had chronic low back pain and what your activity level was now that we've alleviated your chronic low back pain? Um, so there's more research that's pushing outside of the normal medical practice, and it's pushing right into your home. That's a that's a very exciting future for Interesting. research. And, and and I will say, um, many of our audience members will remember uh, when the Apple Watch first came out. One of the big mm-hmm. biggest marketing things that they did during that conference was to talk about healthcare. And to talk about the things that they were able to do, I'll I'll never forget just being mind blown by um, uh, a company they partnered with that uh, a a pregnant mother could wear her Apple Watch and the doctor could pull all of the information that they needed. So that way she could have less trips to the office. And I I was just fascinated by that kind of information. So are you guys starting to do things like that where you guys are working with companies like Apple, Samsung, and some of these other companies where you all are able to kind of pull some of that data in real time? Yes, absolutely. Wow, that is fascinating. That is fascinating. And and some of it, I will say, uh, 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 in full transparency, is a little... uh, Spooky to me, <laughs> only because I'm, I'm the kind of guy I don't like being tracked by some device and some different <laughs> things. I'm, I'm just kind of that. That's kind of the old school part of me where I'm like, I like technology, but I don't like all of the tracking stuff. But I think from a health perspective, well, help us understand, like, why that would be uh, very important. Yeah, it's no different than social media, right? Um, you know, we used to have that conversation 10 years ago about social media. And, oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm comfortable with the whole world knowing where <laughs> I went to dinner last night or, or what my favorites are. You know, think about how much the world has changed. So there's, there's an asset and a liability. What's the asset? Um, we're able to maintain friendships with people that are so distant from us. We were never able to do that in the past. Um, we're able to maintain links with thousands and thousands of people via social media and, uh, and the world gets smaller as a result. What's the liability? There's more exposure. It's, it's the same with this idea of wearables and uh, medical devices. What's the asset? Far better data. Far better data. Uh, I mentioned diabetes as an example. You come into the office and I'm managing your diabetes and I've got a few data points. 
you had to pick your finger and put a little blood sample on a thing and find out, okay, at this particular moment in time, my blood sugar is 239. But I don't know what your average blood sugar really is. We can do a hemoglobin A1C, which is a, a view of how you've been doing over three months. These wearables give phenomenal clarity to how to nuance your treatment to specifically treat you. That's the asset. What's the liability? Well, the liability is, again, a little bit more exposure. Interesting. That th this is this is so fascinating. So <laughs> as we wrap up here, uh, you mentioned early on in this conversation, which I thought was great. You said you guys as a company, you come together and you highlight somebody in the company. So I'm yep. going to give you an opportunity right now. Give someone a really good shout out in the company who's who's done some awesome work, who you've seen that is, you know, just somebody that you want to acknowledge for, for, for their work and, and the things that they've been bringing to the table in IACT. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough. I've got a bunch going through my head. I have to pick one. Let me think. Let me think. Who should I pick? Well, maybe I'll pick Caitlin. Caitlin Cross. In fact, I think she's a millennial. She's got to be in that age range. Um, Caitlin is, is a woman who came and worked for us. She's probably with us for many years now. I don't know, three, four, something like that. She started as a research coordinator. Why, do, why am I going to pick her as somebody to give a shout out to? Because she's passionate and she's going above and beyond for the betterment of the industry. So she's a research coordinator. She has research protocols that she's running today. And she's a great coordinator. She produces high quality data. She, her patients love her. She's engaged with them. She cares about them. Um, really great coordinator. She's personally taken on her own initiative. She came to me through somebody else, I don't know, six months ago and said, you know what? I want to beef up the quality department. Hmm? You want to beef up the quality department? Wow. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, I think we can come up with a new position and we can do it this way. And, we can... and so I started doing uh, weekly one-hour coaching sessions with her. Let's talk about it. What would it look like? How would you design it? Now we're at the point that we're rolling out uh, beta tests. And so she's been rolling out beta tests of different types of quality management, quality assurance throughout the company. She's, as a sidelight, developing an entire new department for the company. How cool is wow. that? Like, so kudos to her. Awesome. That is, <laughs> wow. And, and what's her name again? Caitlin Cross. Caitlin, you are awesome. And so uh, that is that is really, really cool. And so, Jeff, I also want to just give you a shout out as well. So as we wrap up this interview, I, I'm fascinated uh, when I get an opportunity. I'm a fan of CEOs. I guess, you know, I have sports teams that I'm a fan of, obviously, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, in, the, in the employee world. I'm a fan of CEOs because I think um, many people in my audience has heard me say this many times. I don't think CEOs get enough credit for choosing to live a life that says I am going to lead not only a company and an idea and execute on that company and idea, but I'm also going to do it with other people's lives in my hands. Um, you know, that to me, I think is a, is a fascinating thing. And so thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being even a part of the industry of clinical research. Um, 
it is much needed. Um, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what we'll be able to see, you know, comes out of out of your world. Obviously, you guys don't get all of the credit once it hits mass market. But uh, I think, you know, for 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 those of us who who have been impacted, like the, the, the young lady with eczema, you know, diabetes, hepatitis C, those examples that you gave. I think they will be forever indebted to you. I'm indebted to you just because you were able to come on the show, take time out of your day and all that you have and being a part of what we do here on the show. So thank you so much for being a part of our interview series. Yeah, thank you. This was, first of all, this was fun. And, and I greatly appreciate you learning more about this team and about the industry that we're working so hard to change. Wow. Well, this wraps up another great episode, another great week, another great interview uh, with Dr. Jeff Kingsley. And I, I just want to say thank you as an audience for taking the time out. I hope that you got out of this interview as much as I did being able to conduct it uh, with someone who is passionate about the world of medicine and really cares about making sure we are able to uh, fight and find cures for diseases that we all have been either directly impacted by or indirectly impacted by someone that we know. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Dr. Jeff and his team for those in Georgia. Uh, we would love it if you would take the time right now, uh, even while you listen to this several times over uh, and share this on social media, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at the handle High Level Wisdom or you can simply go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com. Click on the episodes link and there you will find not only this week's episode, but much more more. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week and whatever you do this week, make sure you do it at a high level. Take care. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.